The scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 8, 1 through 3. Here begins the reading. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Mirror, mirror on the wall, which gospel is the most sexist of them all? It's Luke, y'all, it's Luke. Now, I was not here, but I do know that you all did a very meaningful study of the book of Luke during Lent. It was beautiful and great, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love the book of Luke. But Luke also has this bad habit of discounting women as soon as he said something great about them. It might sound something like, she did this really awesome thing, but also... Y'all, I hate to say it, but yes, Luke is a bit sexist. So you can imagine my frustration and quizzical brow when beloved senior pastor of University Christian Church, the Reverend Dr. Russ Peterman, for the Fierce Women of the Bible series, assigned this text, Luke 8, 1 through 3 from the magnificent Mary Magdalene. Y'all, there are 12, 12 named accounts of Mary Magdalene in the Gospels. The only woman that is named more is Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The fact that Mary Magdalene is even named is a huge deal. 11 of the 12 times that she is mentioned are located within the story of Jesus' resurrection. She was present in each of the accounts, bringing the word of resurrection to the world. And do you know which text Russ chose? Luke 8, 1 through 3, the time Mary Magdalene had seven demons expelled from her. Despite my initial shock and disappointment of this <clears throat> short text, as I began re reacquainting myself with the story of Mary Magdalene, I realized that Russ was, in fact, and not surprisingly so, very wise for choosing this text. Before I dive in, I want to know, what have you heard about Mary Magdalene? Have you heard that she was a prostitute? Have you heard that she was a repentant sinner? Have you heard that she was the woman who anointed Jesus' feet and wiped up the oils with her hair? Have you heard that she was a sister of Martha and Lazarus? Have you possibly heard that she was Jesus' lover? Shout out to the Da Vinci Code and Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Mary was in fact none of these things, and was not any of these people. 
Now, I know that I am the new person around here, so you might be asking, really though? How could we be so wrong about her? Well, you see, Luke 8, 1 through 3, focused entirely on Mary having demons cast out of her. And generally, in ancient times, when a woman was having demons cast out of her, it was usually because she had sinned sexually. But do you know what? There is not a single historical source that we can find on this exorcism actually happening. In fact, sound scholarship surrounding Luke and Mary Magdalene doesn't even assert that this actually happened. Then why was it added, you may ask? Well, I'm glad to tell you. You see, Mary Magdalene was a woman that served and walked alongside Jesus up to and through his death. She was a key leader in the Jesus movement. In some traditions, such as Gnosticism, she was seen as a leader that was parallel to Paul and Peter. Insert Peter, Paul, and Mary joke here. <laughs> she is mentioned in every single gospel. She followed Jesus to the cross, was there when he died, and was the first person to see Jesus and proclaim the good news that Jesus was alive. Her reach was so far and so wide that alternative streams of Christianity picked up her stories and took them as their own. She was known as a prophet. Do you know what this makes her? A preacher. My friends, this makes her a woman preacher. Mary Magdalene, the preacher, the prophetess. But then... Powerful systems got a hold of her stories, particularly the patriarchal churches of the time, and her story got distorted and twisted and manipulated. Alternative streams of Christianity were seen as unholy, and because Mary Magdalene's reach was so far, and probably because she was also a woman, the Luke text that we read today was probably added to discourage others from alternative veins of Christianity. And these verses took off in more modern history. There was a guy named Tertullian. He misspoke one time and said that she was the woman in Luke 8 who anointed Jesus' feet. That's not true. There is no proof of it anywhere. And then in the 6th century, the Pope, Gregory the Great, misused today's text to paint Mary Magdalene as a penitent sinner a prostitute that was unclean and who was also the sister of Martha and Lazarus. This is also not true. But because he had such a far reach and lots and lots of religious power, this version of her took off like wildfire. As the Catholic Church became more prominent, these alternative streams of Christianity died out and a different false idea of Mary Magdalene continued. And then, in 1200 CE, there was a book called The Golden Legend that many consulted about the saints of the tradition, and that text asserted that Mary was given special attention from Jesus, which may be the beginnings of why we find a more modern version of Mary Magdalene and Jesus being romantically involved. Again, not true. 
But by turning Mary into a prostitute, by blending all of these stories together, the powerful church could emphasize her sexuality, make her a repentant sinner, and continue to discredit her as a woman without any kind of authority. Mary Magdalene, the preacher, became Mary Magdalene, the prostitute. And we know that systems of power, systems of patriarchy, ensure that false stories continue to bring systems that oppress more power. So the false story and narrative of Mary Magdalene stuck and is still sticky today. These systems have claimed her story as fact and curiosity took a back seat because of course she was a prostitute and of course she wasn't a leader. My friends, I hate to tell you, but there are still many who are not curious and not just about Mary Magdalene. Those who believe that a woman's place in the church and in every place they occupy is a role of submission. Never ever leading from the front and never ever leading in a real way. In much of our culture, even the well-meaning and more progressive spaces still operate within this mindset. There are still clergy women who answer the phone and get asked by the person on the other end if they can please speak to the real pastor. There are still clergy women who need rev in front of their name to be taken seriously in public places. There are still clergy women who are told how nice their outfit looks after spending hours crafting meaningful words and leading in worship. There are still clergy women who have to remind congregants and others that their body is their own and not subject to others' touch. And there are still women who have to fight to have their sacred, spirit-filled calling acknowledged and proclaimed and named. Yes, there are many ways that sexism and patriarchy and the idea that women are lesser than survives and thrives in the world. And unfortunately, it extends beyond women as well. Those of a race that isn't the majority, those who don't love someone on a binary, those whose traditions aren't Christian, those who aren't originally from the U.S., my friends, we are so very good at othering. So what does Mary Magdalene have to tell us? What does Luke 8 have to tell us? Well, my friends, the good news is that somewhere along the way, somebody got curious Scholars like Jane Schaberg and Shelley Matthews write about a different Mary Magdalene. A Mary Magdalene that was a leader, a strong woman of faith that showed up in embodied ways. As someone, and someone that Jesus chose to reveal his resurrected self to first. Jesus was good at that, wasn't he? Making the high places low and the low high he was good at reminding us that those who had no power actually had a seat at the table. And Jesus, on the morning of his resurrection, revealed himself to Mary, a woman who was with him through it all, 
through and after his death. He came to her in the garden, he said her name, and she became the first person to say, he's alive. She is the first Christian. She is the first witness. She is the first preacher. Women had little to no recognition or authority in Jesus' time and were the first to bring the good news of new life and new hope. Mary Magdalene, the first preacher. My friends, names matter. Today is Pentecost. Pentecost is one of my favorite church holidays because Dang, do I love talking about the Holy Spirit. I love talking about the birth of the church and how the Spirit moves us and stirs us and shakes us up and sustains us. But part of believing how the Spirit works in our lives is being open and staying curious about where the Spirit leads. University Christian Church, I say with a good amount of thankfulness that you have been able to be curious, particularly when it comes to naming and claiming women in leadership. Reverend Cindy Twiddell started here when ministry was still a male-dominated profession and remained here for more than 30 years, mentoring and loving and supporting women in ministry, including the preacher in this pulpit today. Your executive minister is a woman. Your minister of outreach is a woman. Your minister of children and families is a woman. Your discipleship coordinator is a woman. Your minister to students is a woman. You have walked alongside and taught and loved and ordained many women throughout your many years. Yes, here is a place where we have gone where the spirit beckoned and stayed curious, and named and claimed women, and I am grateful to have been one of those women and to be able to stand here in this pulpit. And it's no wonder that we have been able to be curious, right? We are University Christian Church. Our motto is open minds and loving hearts. That practically begs curiosity. Our mottos value it, and we are better for it. My friends, what Mary Magdalene and Luke 8 teaches us is that we need to stay curious. Let us learn from them that it's not always best to take exactly what is given to us without question, because sometimes the systems we operate out of are less than curious and less than inclusive. If no one was curious about what women had to offer in ministry, I might not be up here preaching in front of you. As we venture forward, as we journey together, may we lean into the Spirit and where she calls us. May we continue to not only be curious, but may we stay curious to who God is calling us to name next. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit and Holy God, we give you thanks for the strong leadership of Mary Magdalene. May we, through her story, continue to stay curious about where you and the Spirit call us. Amen.